Hello world, welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shine. My guest today is Rebecca Madison. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Eyal. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you on. Um, what is an idea that has been helping you live well? I have this idea that is probably my foundational philosophy, and it is quite simple. But the idea is that the... The way to get what you want in life or in anything that you're pursuing is to start with believing that it's possible. Yeah. And, uh, I really resonate with that because it is, it does make sense. I mean, if you think that your efforts or your tries are going to be futile, then that is quite depressing, uh, starting point for anything. So I'd like to hear from you, um, Maybe what are some of the circumstances or the predecessor thoughts that kind of led to this more concise um, distillation of an idea? Oh, I like that question. Yeah. So sort of background on how I've come to this or why it feels so huge to me, even though it might sound really simple. Um, I come from an upbringing where my parents would just often say things like, um, it is what it is, or life's hard and just put your head down. Um, and so there was kind of this overall theme of like, don't even bother, like don't even try. Um, and then I would sort of have various dreams and hopes for my life that would maybe even be really simple, but, but I sort of would stop even before, like before even taking the first step, because I just didn't see it as possible to, to change or to have anything be different. So for me, it was a huge light bulb to, to just even be able to get in the headspace of like, wow, like I could have a job that I like, or I could have a relationship that's really like happy and fulfilling, or I could have amazing friends. Like it doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm going to be on the NBA or I'm going to be an astronaut, like some big, huge, crazy dream, but just anything that's something that I want to aim for. Um, I spent most of my life just not even trying because it just didn't seem within reach. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think, you know, that's obviously not just your parents, but the whole culture that we uh, grow up in is usually like that. I mean, how many times we hear during our childhood, you know, this is how things are. And we hear that about... um you know, this can be reflected to us about relationships through media or how they're portrayed, about jobs, definitely about career paths. And uh, yeah, like money is a big thing where it's like, this is, this is what it's like. It's like you go to work. Yes, it's not going to be the best eight hours of your day working, but then you get compensated and then you can take time off. And it's just this narrative of, um, that is, you know, generally adopted wholesale by us and it makes sense too because we are being fed this narrative when we are quite vulnerable and young and don't have much experience um yeah and i i really like your uh realization that you know things could be done and i think that it's so important to do uh do you remember what was a kind of thing that you thought about for the first time, it's like, hey, you know, this is outside the narrative, but it's possible. Hmm. I think that 
probably well the one that's standing out the most right now as i think about it is is just being in a really healthy loving fulfilling relationship um so a bit of background um i was married for seven years and i'm divorced now um i'm still really good friends with my ex-husband um but sort of since since that relationship ended i did a lot of thinking about what i want my future to look like because for a long time i thought oh i'm just going to be single maybe relationships just aren't for me and all this kind of stuff and had a lot of therapy around this and everything um and then when i started dating again i i don't think that i had a really good vision in mind for what i was looking for or what i wanted a relationship to look like um and so then I had a couple of relationships just not really succeed or like they, they didn't end up being what I wanted. But I don't think it's because I really thought out about what I wanted. And then finally, I, I eventually kind of like envisioned what is it that I actually want? What would make me happy? And then I realized that everything that I had listed in my head was totally possible. It wasn't outrageous it's not like i had a list of 20 requirements and like two people on the planet would meet that it was more like you know how i wanted to feel or how i wanted to show up or what kind of um just dynamic i wanted to have with a person and so then when i really had that when i really sort of first saw okay that's actually possible to do then i started to figure out how can i create that um and so i feel like i'm working on that right now but uh i just never would have I don't think I ever would have had a fulfilling relationship if I first hadn't realized it was actually even possible to do that. Yeah, yeah, I can relate. Uh, now, out of curiosity, what was like the, because I'm imagining you stepping into a shop, right? And saying like, hello, what type of relationship you're selling here, whatever. And then just being given like one stock option. It's like, this is what we have. This is what you're going to take home with you. Um, what did this stock, um, relationship look like in terms of of dynamics of like core beliefs um yeah what what was that storyline do you mean um just to clarify like before or what it is currently yeah before because mm. i think like i said a lot of us are are just given this stock option of like how to live life it's like well you get a job it's from nine to five go home you do that you know and then you have two weeks off a year or something take it yeah. like this is yeah. what we have for you right so i'm interested in like what was the relationship version of that and what um are some of the ideas that at first were just taken in by you um without proper criticism because it's just what was presented to you by culture or parents or anything like that yeah so so for me, I guess, um, as a little kid, I had definitely taken in all the Disney movies and everything and this very romanticized version of what perfect love and a perfect relationship would look like. But it, you know, even in my teenager years, I think by that point I had realized, oh, that's like a Disney movie. That's not real life. That's a fantasy. Um, and then I think I accepted that maybe that's not what it would look like. Um, but I didn't really have models of anything other than my parents and then the parents of all my friends uh and what i saw from them was this kind of um i guess functional like functional relationship my parents are still together so they've been together for decades now um but i didn't see 
a lot of, I guess, what called to me, which was um, like a lot of authentic sharing and talking about feelings and hopes and dreams and just sort of like um, deep rambling conversations and things like that. It was more like, okay, go to work, um, take care of the kids, watch TV, go to sleep. On the weekend, we do errands. Um, and I didn't see a lot of like affection, like physical affection or like emotional intimacy. And I think that, you know, there were no arguments or anything. So it seemed fine. Like it seemed healthy. But to me, when I looked at it, I just sort of thought that doesn't look very fulfilling to me. So I wasn't really sure. Well, I don't know if I want that, but I didn't know what the alternative was because the alternative to me was what I saw in the movies, but I knew that that wasn't real life. So I felt a bit like that, that was like pre possibility. I didn't even know what could be different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because I think these stock options that were given, like these stock products, um, for example, yeah, the, the kind of loveless marriage type, which I think is, is, could be very prevalent a few decades ago. Um, and and a lot of other stuff like the the career basically the the career story about the nine to five and work for forty years and all that the thing that's or or let's say the 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 week with two days off and five days of work the the amazing thing about them is that they are designed to put you right on the edge right mm-hmm. it's like it's been tried and tested like no you can't work people seven days a week because they are going to revolt. You can't tell them that relationships are completely abusive or whatever, or give them that. That's going to cause problems, right? And then there's this middle where, as you say, it's like, it's not terrible, but it's also not where I want to be. And that place with a little bit of um, subtle coercion or persuasion at a young age can make you go along with it even though it's not really um good but it's like not the worst and it it can be confusing so i can i really hear you there about that um yeah yeah i think too like i mean i don't i haven't actually ever had a conversation with my parents about their marriage or what their thoughts are and for all i know they would say that it was great and it was exactly what they wanted and it worked for them Um, but it's like what you were saying about if you just have this one stock option and you don't even know what else is possible, you know, now I know because like I've looked around and explored this topic a lot. There's so many ways to go about having a relationship and, and it's okay to want whatever it is that you want. Like for me, I do want to have this like huge amount of vulnerability and emotional intimacy and things. Not everybody wants that in a relationship. So then I would, you know, I would hope that they would go out and find what would work for them. Um, but yeah, just this idea of realizing that there is more than one option out there, like you were saying, is, is mind blowing when you first realize it. Yeah. For me, I think for me and my wife, at least, it's not just the relationship thing, but even if, like in terms of our relationship, one thing that was interesting is that very early on, we got to discuss what friendship is and coming mm-hmm. to a mutual understanding that at the base of it, is going to be a friendship that is probably going to um, need to be very strong and sturdy because, you know, the, the like the passion of just meeting somebody is not going to be there forever. Um, but the, 
but the friendship, the cooperation needs to prevail and go through a lot of, of, um, yeah, all sorts of, all sorts of challenges, right? Like try to have a kid with, uh, at home with you for four years, like we have. Um, so that's, that's in the relationship part. And yeah, I'd love to hear from you. What is, what is, uh, one thing? I mean, just a random example, maybe that you can think of, of one thing that really stood out as something that, Hey, you know, this is not part of the usual story, but I'm going to be working toward making this a reality. And even though it's not the common conception, I'm going to make it part of my conception of a healthy relationship. Okay, yeah. Well, the first thing that jumps out at me is just that I I feel like I have a strong need to share a lot. And some people might think of it as oversharing, but I, I mean, I want to be able to go to my partner and talk about things like monogamy and open relationships, um, or, you know, how do you navigate it if you get a crush on somebody else or like even bringing up feelings of like, Hey, I'm feeling resentful towards you for this thing. And I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I noticed that I have this feeling and I want to talk it out and I don't know where it's going to go. Um, and, and I guess I just want to be able to talk about things that aren't even necessarily directions I want to go in. So for example, like I, it is a monogamous relationship and I want it to be, but sometimes I get scared about that and I don't know. Um, if it will work long term for either of us. And so just being able to say, I'm scared about that. And can we talk about it? And these are all what my fears are. Um, I find that so enriching and so meaningful and fulfilling. And it makes me feel safe to be able to talk about things like that. Um, whereas other people I know are like, wow, I would never, ever have that conversation. I would never just because now because they're worried about what their partner will think. Mm -hmm. And th and that's totally fair because I think sometimes I bring up these tops with him and he's like, wow, I need to think about this. Or like, it can be overwhelming for somebody to just hear all your fears and everything. So it has to be done, I think with delicacy, but, but the underlying sort of principle for me is like, I need to be with somebody who can receive just um, pretty much any, any topic like i need to be able to voice what's going on in my head yeah no i i really like it and it's a it's a, it's a beautiful thing when you can be open enough with someone and know that they are not going to uh, run away or yeah. you know get so defensive that they're actually going on the on the offense um because they can't handle it and yeah, it is. It is, as you say, like, I'm sure that some people, it's not something that they can deal with, but that's the, that's the beauty of having, uh, many options to, to choose from. And eventually we know what we want and therefore we're going to go for the person who is a good fit for us. Right. Um, so I, I can say the same about us, I think, where it's just important. There is an, uh, an underlying wish that's not really spoken, but just to be very close and not have these, um, partitions of like, this is something that you don't talk about at all, or, um, I'm gonna withdraw and not talk about things. It's, 
it's much more scary for me. Like I, I yeah. can freak out. I can freak out if I'm not being communicated, like the the actual how the person is feeling, because I can't read minds, and it's such scary territory to be in. You know, it's like, how are you feeling right now? Is it because of me? Is it because of something else? Is it because of, and um, yeah. So I'm I'm pretty much with you there. Yeah, even as you were talking, I just had this flashback to something my mom said to me, um, which I think she would sometimes say, like, we don't talk about that, or it's not polite to talk about that. That was something I heard a lot about all Mm. kinds of things, like money was a big one, like it's not polite to talk about money. But also, um, we never talked about sex or any anything to do with it. So I never had like a sex education talk with either of my parents. There were just things that were totally off limits. And I think quite a lot of things were so off limits that it almost made me swing in this direction of wanting to just mm. talk about everything all the time. Um, so I really identify with it when you're saying like, I just, I just, you know, you're saying like, you want to have closeness. You want to know that you could talk about things and that there isn't, aren't these topics you have to tiptoe around. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm also interested about, uh, about the money taboo. If you have any idea where that comes from and like why it's a taboo, what is, where is the shame there or whatever it is that causes people not to talk about it? Because I'm really interested in that actually. Yeah. Culturally, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think what I suspect in my family is that, um, I guess I grew up in a in a environment where people had all different kinds of incomes. And so I think one thing is maybe my mom was worried that it would look like bragging because to some of our friends we had more. But then we also had less than other friends. So I don't know why I don't know there was just this blanket policy on like it's just rude to talk about. But then that really didn't serve me well because then as I grew up, I didn't know anything about saving and investing and planning. Mm. It's not that I need to know how much money is everyone around me making, but just that the fact that money wasn't talked about at all really put me at a disadvantage when I started to earn money and didn't have a grasp on how to handle it or prepare for the future. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Um, Yeah. I grew up in a, kibbutz which is this village that's based on communist principles and we literally did not have paper or or metal money it was just numbers like within this closed system of the village yeah Yeah. so that makes really hard (laughs) that makes it really hard to like learn anything about money because it's just there it comes it's also based uh the money you have is based on the income that the whole kibbutz is making mm-hmm. as a whole so it's not even tied to like anything that you did individually so it just flows in miraculously um and you just have to deal with that and then while i was growing up the whole place was turning away from that system and moving more into the world as most people know it which is just like you work you get a paycheck you get that and yeah that took a lot of um a lot of work to kind of adapt to that i'm fine like i was young but you know imagine my parents at like age 40 something 50 trying to get 
to get to grips with an idea of like, oh, this is now we have to find like be entrepreneurs or something like that. Wow. That could be super scary. Yeah. Um, and I guess to bring it back to the sort of the theme of what we started with, you'd have to mm-hmm. have this idea that it is, wow, I can go out and actually do this. I can take care of myself. I can get a job when you, when, if your background was more communal and everyone was working and money was coming in for everybody, that's really, really hugely different to then have to go out and be like, okay, I am now as an individual going to go out and get a job and support myself. Yeah, right. Well, clearly you could be a podcaster because you brought me back to the thing, which I love. <laughs> so thank you. Um, yeah, I think that, um, I do want to explore more the kind of the, the theme for sure. And I'm trying to think about, uh, what's going on today. Like with me, it's for sure this podcast and, um, everything that they do around it and, you know, I'm looking back at the time when I was just contemplating doing that and feeling a sort of calling in in me to go do something that is creative or artistic like that. And it's very scary because you don't know. There's already, you probably already are aware of the one top percent of people who are doing this and you're just not really sure if you're part of this small sliver of... um or a group, a small group of people that are actually doing it. Um, so I'm really interested to hear from you. Is it, do you feel like it's some sort of inherent confidence that you have in you about your capabilities or do you need to work yourself up to get to a point where you feel like you're able to, um, what, what do you think is the usual case for you, like approaching anything? Oh, well, I think that this philosophy or idea or this mindset, it came out of just a state of, I don't know really what to call it, but maybe like rock bottom. Like I ended up at this attitude because there was just no other possibility. It was the only way that I could make, make my life work. So I think that because I, had so many moments of despair and a lot of, you know, mental health issues and feeling depressed or anxious and just kind of really veering into hopelessness that anything could be different or better. Um, an idea that I found out there in the world of mental health that I actually didn't find helpful at all is this phrase, I think, like, you know, it, it will get better um, or like things will get better from here. Um, I, I've heard that used in context related to, um, to being queer and, and growing up and like, you know, finding a community and things like that. But I have also heard it in the context of mental health, like it can get better. And I kind of looked at my life and I thought, uh, you know, at the time it, it felt so bad that like better wasn't good enough. Like I didn't want life to be just like slightly less bad. I wanted mm. life to be really good. And so... I had to find a way to think like I need to be able to imagine that a year from now, like my life could be good because if it's just slightly less bad, like I don't think I want to be here anymore. And I know that's a really dark turn, but I feel like that's the place that my mind was at. Like it was just so bad that, um, you know, when you're thinking about like, I don't even want to be on this planet anymore. So to kind of adopt this attitude was I see it as like clawing my way out of that. And there's really no other option. Like I have to 
I have to kind of stay on that path because that's what keeps me not only like working towards a good life for myself, but also just here at all. Um, it's been like the fire that fuels me, I guess. Wow. Yeah, that actually resonates with me a lot. I mean, coming out of depression for me at like age 19 or something, I definitely, I think I relate a lot to what you're saying because I also felt that it was, it was sort of a Hail Mary, right? It's like, <laughs> I'm stuck here. Something needs to be done. And, um, this is an idea. I, I'd like to do an episode on death on this podcast at uh, mm. some point. Um, but it's this idea that, you know, also on my mind was I had suicide a lot on my mm. mind at certain points. And it was only when I got to a point where I'm able to say, wait, it's like at age 80, if I'm lucky, I'm already going to die, you know? So why kind of rush things? Why get to that mm. very quickly? L- let's instead adopt this unsubstantiated belief, like you say, and try to be with that with why and if all else fails it's an option i mean yeah it is, it is an option and i i don't condone it i think it's a i think again that nobody should rush and and go to the end of the story because the end is known it's boring um but from that moment of this rather almost irrational belief suddenly you realize paradoxically almost Oh, I do have control. I can control this belief. And it's bringing me relief and hope. And I can go from there. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. Um, and it's interesting that you call it like an irrational belief. I almost wonder if you could call it faith. Do you think that that applies? Like that you had faith that, that you could be happy and like life could be good and it could be meaningful? It's, yeah, see, so, like, as a person, I'm, to be honest, I'm not that comfortable with anything that's, that's woo, usually, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. saying something like it's faith, or it's something like that, so I am trying to find a thread that does make it rational. I think, at the time, it did not feel rational. It's like you said, it felt more like that out of desperation, which is literally in Latin, being out of hope. Mm. out of desperation you just turn to a place of like naive inspiration i guess yeah (laughs) naive hope that things could be better and at the time it's irrational i think in retrospect it's being able to get out of the rut that you've been in for so long or this deep well and be like wait i've read books about people who've gone through transformations or something and I think if you kind of sail with your imagination and go to a place, I think you also recognize at some point that, hey, there's no law of physics that tells me that I'm not going to live well. There's actually, if I look and I'm being serious about it, the most limiting factor that stands between me and living well is my habits and behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds, yeah. yeah, it sounds then maybe like it was more rational than you're giving yourself credit for. Like, and maybe it it came from 
sources of inspiration. Like you were saying that you were thinking about other people who had been in a rut or in a dark place, and then they had gone on to accomplish great things or live happy lives. And then you saw like, oh, it's not impossible for me to do that either. Um, but maybe you needed to see it from other people before you could see it in yourself first. Mm. Yeah, I think inspiration. Yeah, one concept that comes to mind is um, absurd. I think that oh. at some point I realized that the whole human condition, and this is not an original idea, but I read, you know, um, South and um, Rollo May and some psychologists. I read uh, Victor Fankel's book. I read Kurt Vonnegut. And you realize at some point that life is absurd and this can make you laugh. And it can also inspire you because you see people going forward with their lives and, you know, losing everything in the Holocaust and moving on. So, yeah, I'm wondering, like, have you ever f had this feeling that actually this is absurd? There's something funny about me clinging on to everything that's bad in the world, right? Yeah, I definitely have. I think that I kind of... um because that state of recognizing how absurd everything is and laughing at it, it's so hard to stay in that place. But when you feel it, or at least when I feel it, it's so powerful. Um, and then I kind of cycle through, like, I've noticed in my life, like, it's been pretty up and down. And I'm trying to reach a state of more steadiness. But I've really, I guess, related to a lot of existentialist writers who kind of take you through this experience and really normalize it because um in my past before i had ever encountered any of these ideas um nobody was really able to talk to me about them like even being able to talk about how um, like the absurd and and just the nature of life was just not a conversation anyone around me wanted to have so um i definitely relate relate to that feeling of just like wow this is and you just have to laugh yeah Okay, and another test to see if, if, if you've <laughs> shared anything in a way with me, but have, have you ever had a, an episode where you felt that you're able to look at things from a um, perspective that's farther away in space, where you're smaller in some sense, and um, maybe a little less prone to feeling everything intensely? Yes, I, I've thought about, um, I, it might be phrased a bit clumsily because I don't have a strong science background, but when I was trying to learn basic things about physics and trying to understand time and space and things like this, I just came across these ideas and concepts about, um, I, I don't think I'm going to try to explain, explain that because I, I can't, but I guess just this idea that like, um, I almost sometimes imagine just that everything has already happened or like that, that the future is happening right now and the past is happening right now. And, um, I see sort of like the span of my entire life existing all at the same time. And then when I imagine that, like all the really bad times and the good times and all the boring times, just like over the span of a hundred years, which I hope is how long I live then this kind of present moment just doesn't seem to matter quite as much or perhaps it matters equally to all the other moments. Wow. 
And you've and you haven't read uh, Kurt Vonnegut's Sirens of Titan, huh? No, I haven't. Okay, so he has this um, planet Trelfamador. Mm -hmm. So there are Trelfamadorians, aliens, who instead of seeing things in three D, see them in four D. So they see a stretch of time. He says in the book, they see a stretch of time, just, you know, as we see um, a postcard of the ro of stretch of the Rocky, Rocky Mountains, right? So they actually see all the moments all the time. And so they, for example, are not bothered when somebody dies because they can still see a lot of moments of these of this person being perfectly happy. Uh... And, uh, so it's really uncanny that you, you've come exactly to this beautiful um, imagery, which personally really was was very healing to come across i'm super super happy um that you've come um to this image on your own that's amazing and it just shows uh i mean that we're not as different from one another like our minds actually find the same things when we're looking for them that you and kurt vonnegut would both come to this image um yeah i absolutely love it i mean in my own journey you know, I felt that being able to suddenly see, all right, Carl Sagan's pale blue dot where he says, you know, everyone who's ever lived and loved and hated and all that has lived on this pale blue dot. I, I might be mixing two authors, um, but it gives such a relief, you know, because I don't have to focus on myself and getting out of this place of rumination and constant self-flagellation and debilitating and paralyzing self-awareness. I think it's a necessary step um, to going out of depression. Yeah, that is so cool that, that you brought up that book because I had not heard of it. Um, and I'm curious what you think about that that idea because of course it's like you know in the book it sounds like those those people were those beings were able to see in this other dimension or perceive this other dimension and i can you know i can sit here and try to imagine it but it's really hard to hold in my mind um what what is your experience with like holding on to states that you find more helpful because you've talked a couple of times about like getting out of depression but how do you like stay out or what what grounds you in that in that state that's lifted out. If that oh, makes sense. beautiful. So here's the funny thing. For me, it's not actually sustainable to stay mm -hmm. in that state. It's it's not. This is not the end goal. So um, I think that it's absolutely necessary to be able to feel less if you're depressed and get out and be start to get creative again. Because being in depression in loops of, of negative thoughts is the least creative thing you can do. You just go through the same old thoughts um, ad nauseum, you know, until you're nauseous with them, and it just sucks. So the first step is yes to zoom away. See that, hey, you're actually a small thing. You don't matter that much. The next step, which took me even more years to implement, to really that, is to recognize that if I'm willingly going out there again and allowing myself to feel, I'm not necessarily going to feel the old feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Because when I was in a stage of letting myself feel, it's going to be the depression. It's going to be um, a sort of 
paralysis of the mind and all that. Um, but at some point, you have to go back into the game with an emotion that you choose to try to have, right? Like love, connection, things like that. And that's the getting back into life part. So you don't anymore stay in that perspective. Because if you're in outer space, the one thing you're lacking is connection. And you mm -hmm. have to go back down there and, and find connection with other people. So I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, I really like that. It was so, I guess, I just felt my whole heart warm up when you said um, <laughs> that it's not sustainable. And and the way you talked about it is like, it's okay that it's not sustainable. You kind of You kind of have these moments when you step out of it. And you are struggling and maybe things are hard. And then at some point you, you make a choice and then you step back in the game. It felt really like a compassionate way to go about things. Like it took all the, like when I hear you talk about it, it just took so much pressure off. I just felt so much relief. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay. Like you don't have to figure it out and then stay there. And then you're a failure if you fall out of it. It's just sort of like the nature of life to have these cycles, I guess. Just to me, it sounded really natural and healthy the way you talked about it. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad. Um, yeah, I think that the place of cynicism, of sarcasm, of not, not wanting to connect is people obviously defending themselves against all sorts of attacks. And, um, yeah, we should we should go beyond that. But I think every kind of natural healing process has stages, you know. So it's we're infected with something, we're going to have a fever, and it's actually not very good to break the fever. It's like, yeah, we do it because we feel like shit and we don't want to feel like shit, but that could actually cost us something. Actually, yeah. you know, unless it's terribly high fever, we should embrace it and know that it's part of the healing, right? It's the same way with, you know, welcoming vomiting when we know something is wrong with our stomach yeah um so that's that's the way i see it it's a necessary step but not not the ultimate step oh that's beautiful <laughs> yeah so if that um resonates with you yeah I, i'd love to hear about maybe a moment where you're stepping back into the arena with a renewed sense of, yes, this is possible. What is a small experiment that you're going with, uh, that you're going with, be it about relationships or anything else in mm -hmm. life? Like, do you remember a moment where you said, like, I'm going to experiment with that? Yeah, I felt that, um, I started a blog about two years ago and for me, that was a stepping into the arena moment where I didn't have any particular plans for it other than just to put my experience into words. So it was a personal blog just about my own like life and, and thoughts and feelings about different things. And then, you know, realistically, I did have a hope that it would connect with people, even if it was one person or maybe five people, like some any amount of people, I had a hope that it would connect with, with somebody. Uh, otherwise, I would have just kept it to myself as a private journal. Um, so I guess having this sense of hope and optimism, um, for me, just even putting anything out there into the world and, and sort of 
trusting that if there's anyone out there that it would connect with that it will find them if I sort of keep showing up to it. So that w- that was sort of the most recent example of, of that. Nice. And I'm 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 assuming that the um that the test came back positive that people are reacting and connecting. Like how long did it take with your blog? Um well, I was surprised that right away a bunch of people signed up because it's a Substack, so some people subscribe even after the very first entry. Um, and behind the scenes, I can see it tells me how many views the entry has had. So I just sort of thought, you know, I would have been happy if like 10 people had read it. I would have felt like that was a huge success. But I think the very first one, it was something like 60 something people wow. and I thought wow like if you're in a room with 60 people that's a lot of people that are interacting with you in some way I know it's one it's just one way because it's I'm putting the writing out there and and they're reading it and I, I'm not there with them but when you just think about how many people that is it's actually a lot um, and so then it I think that the first few entries just knowing that there was even one person on the other side sort of motivated me to keep going. Uh, and then it, it grew from there and it continued to grow. And then it actually, for me, grew a little bit too much. And it's not a lot in the in like the grand scheme of influencer people because um, for me to get like a few hundred views or a few thousand views is, is a lot. And it felt a bit overwhelming at first. So I had mm. to kind of step back and I took a little bit of a break because I thought, hold on, this is actually a lot of people now reading material that I feel is quite vulnerable. And I have to mm. think about what do I really want to share with the world and what's private and what's public. And so I took a bit of space, but just, um, I think I'm a bit off track from your original question, but I just wanted to say, I'm so blown away that you can just kind of show up to the internet and find a community and find people that connect with you. It's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, um, the first time when just I, I got on the internet and got involved with interintellect and at some point someone who is today my friend was just like, Oh, I'm, I'm inviting all of you to like join me for virtual coffee. And here's my, um, link and you can sign up. And I was like, what? You can do that. <laughs> and you know, I've never stopped since I'm just having people on for conversations and. Yeah, it's it's amazing how some of the things were just are just not something we think is is there, and then it becomes uh, reality for sure. Um, yeah, what what is what is something today that you right now um, believing is possible, and maybe trying to make a better better picture? Because I do think it starts with a belief, but part of the rational part of things, I think, is to actually put together in your head a kind of map where it where the way over there actually makes sense right that like i said it's like it doesn't defy the laws of physics which is usually the case but also is is actually possible right and you don't feel it's like too far-fetched um yeah what is uh, what is something you've set your sights on recently right now i think that it is figuring out oh work i guess i hesitate with the word career because i think that that that's a bit of a big concept but i guess in just in terms of having a job or a work life that feels healthy 
and um, positive for me. So um, one thing that, uh, that I struggle with is that my income is really variable from month to month. And when you take it over the course of a year, because I'm, I'm self-employed, so when you take it over the course of the year, I sort of roughly, you know, I can see what I earn in a month and it's enough for me. It's enough to sustain myself and it's enough to save a little bit and invest and go on like little vacations. And so I would like it to be more because I would like to have more time off and maybe go on bigger vacations. But overall, it's fine. But I sort of, I can't, I haven't been able to manage the stress of like some months are really big and some months are hardly anything. And then I also have this fear like, well, how do I know that the next low month isn't just going to stay low forever? And then my whole job doesn't make sense anymore. So, but then when I calm myself down, I'm like, hold on, this is actually possible to figure out. Lots of people are self-employed. Lots of people have a variable income. Um, it's just going to be a matter of maybe planning planning and managing some things differently. But I'm still, I guess, in the imagining phase right now. Like I'm still kind of stressed out, but starting to shift into, okay, well, how can I figure that out? Because I don't want to go and, and work for somebody else. I really love being self-employed. So I I love that so much that I'm going to have to figure this out, how to keep going. So it's just, I need to develop that vision a bit more, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is something that a lot of us in today's age are facing with the um with the internet and the the fact that there are possibilities, but it's actually we know that not everybody who just starts something is going to make something out of it in terms of uh monetary return. Uh valuable resource in this space is um uh, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know him, but Paul Millard, um who wrote a book, The Pathless the pathless path and it's all about leaving the the stock product of you have a career behind and kind of going your own way and in it it talks about the uncertainty and the need to learn how to live on little mm -hmm. for a while because that actually builds up the confidence that you can do it um, it's going to make you less stressed about what the future brings uh, personally, a long time ago, maybe 15 years ago, I was thinking about turning pro in uh, poker, mm. which is a crazy job because you can actually be good as a player and make the right decisions and still owe, you know, it depends what your bankroll is and what kind of stakes you're playing, but you can end up losing a lot of money. Uh, so imagine, you know, going to work, doing fantastic work, and then getting a bill that you have to pay oh at the end is like unimaginable, right? Yeah. And I, I couldn't deal with it at the yeah. time. But I think poker players, and I'm dying to get uh, a poker player on this uh, podcast to discuss, discuss all the transferable skills between Texas Hold'em and, and live. Um, I think it actually, it has to take quite a few years of, of what you're describing of this like up and downs to, really come to terms with the fact that this is how it is and that if you're good, then it comes because there's also the, the doubt that creeps in about your abilities, you know, like what if I lost it? What if I stayed behind with my game? What if I'm not doing what people are currently, what's currently in demand or anything like that? 
may I ask you the same question that you just asked yeah. me about what what is something that you're currently working on right now in terms of thinking about what's possible, but you're not quite there yet? Same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> same as you. Same as you, for sure. Um, constantly coming up with experiments on how to, you know, make a living. Don't want to be rich. Don't want to be famous. I mentioned it in the Derek Sivers episode. Mm -hmm. um, don't don't need it. Don't need to be um, that known as somebody who's made it. But just being able to have the confidence that what I'm doing is offers does offer value to people, and that they're able to look at me and say, "It's like you know, well, this person for whatever they do, it's like, yeah, we we think that this person." should do that and not a menial job or yeah. anything like that, right? Or any other kind of job that they like less because I have a, a job that I'm very good at, which is being a tour guide. Mm -hmm. And I can do that. And it's it's a great fit with me from many angles. And still, like, going into it, I knew that yeah. I wanted to, to, someday, to someday transcend it and go further. And I'll always be aiming there. And it's, um, yeah, it's a long and interesting and sometimes nerve wracking process to get there. Um, so I'm with you in the same boat. Oh, cool. Well, I'm, I'm totally rooting for you. Uh, to me, that seems really possible. Do you feel like you believe that it is? Like, do you feel it in your heart? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny because I can look ahead and I feel like of, I'm on a plateau, right? Mm. So plateau is a place where you can see far, you're above sea level, um, and you, you, there's no sense of you going down or crashing down at any point. But there's also, yeah, you would like to to still go up a bit, and it's it's getting used to that because in effect, like on a plateau, you could walk and actually over a mile you know, actually ascend just a few feet. And that's actually a lot. Like, you get yeah. to a point. So I think a lot of it has to do with letting go of the notion of peaks, that we have to conquer peaks. Mm. This is somewhat dangerous because peaks, by definition, if you're not going to stay on the peak, which is both boring because the peak is not as expansive as the plateau and there's less to see, and it's also steep on the way down, just as it yeah. was steep on the way up. And this is something I'm, I'm trying to come to terms with and rid myself of the notion that the best thing that could happen to us is reach a new peak. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point because at least I've seen, at, at least this has just been my observation among people who are really high achievers or perhaps they're famous. It's like you might think your whole life, oh, I really want to win an Oscar. But then what happens the day after you win the Oscar? Right. Then then what? Your whole life has been building up to this moment. Then is it going to be five Oscars or ten Oscars? Or I don't know. It just seems like maybe you find a completely different peak to climb. But I think that a lot of the time people don't think about what's on the other side of that peak. And you're just so focused on getting to that goal. Um, but I've heard so many people say that they just didn't feel any different. You know, they won that medal or that award or they made this much money and they thought that was their number. And then they just really felt the same. And for some people, I've heard that's a huge letdown. Um, 
So I like this idea of exploring, like you were saying, like going up kind of a few feet over time and, and, and experimenting with getting comfortable with that. Yeah, I, I also think that, you know, to continue with the metaphor of the terrain, we're so worried about where we are in terms of elevation or the view or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's such a cliche, but of course it's true. Um, it's, it's really about what's in the way and specifically people, specifically the people that you're with. And if you're so concerned about being on a peak, I think that sometimes a lot of people, for example, would have someone they're close to, um, and then they would see a peak, completely lose it and be like, this is a peak I always wanted. So they let go of a, of a relationship in order to go conquer that peak, right? Which could be a professional peak or something like that. And they leave a spouse behind in a different state or a different country. And, um, and another cliche, which I love, which I heard from the lady who owned the homestead I lived in, in Georgia. Um, she always said, like, wherever you go, there you are, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you is exactly the person who, I mean, to take it back to depression, you're so busy thinking about yourself, right? And it's actually the other people that you can focus on to make your life much better because they, there's variance there. They change the way you relate to people is far more interesting. So to really focus on where you are all the time, you know, and the fact that you want to be on a peak. And you want to be distinguished, um, only to learn that, oh, you've actually isolated yourself if you went yeah. to a, a peak that doesn't, that can't literally physically can't hold many people, right? Yeah. The word that was coming up in my mind when you were speaking was lonely. So I like it that you, you drew it to, um, isolation because I think that's so true. Um, it's great to have big goals and it's great to go out and, and aim at them. But if you're alone while you do it or you're alone when you get there, I just can't see how it wouldn't be meaningless to me anyway, because I'm so people focused and it sounds like you are as well, but I would, I can't imagine getting to that award or that goal or that amount of money or that peak. And then just looking around and being by myself and not having nurtured connections with other people that would just to me feel so empty. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it's just, I think to you, do you, um, yeah, it's what comes to mind is be careful what you wish for, right? Because I guess yeah. now that as we're kind of going over it, there's a sense of like, some things are possible and you have to believe that they're possible in order to achieve them. And it puts you in a good starting spot to actually chasing them. And after all is said and done, you might find out that you actually, it wasn't very good for you to achieve that thing. Yeah. And that's one of those things where you, you can't tell somebody that I don't think. It's almost like they have to find out for themselves. And maybe we've all had some kind of experience like that, but you think you really, really want something and then you get it and then it didn't fulfill you in the way that you thought it would. But nobody could tell you that. You have to go through it yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's worth exploring the, the metaphor of the terrain more. I think it's worth noting that it's interesting and 
more fulfilling probably to go down to the water hole and to the peak and to the and to the nook and to the cave you know and everywhere you go i think there are people and you can learn from all of them and you can connect with all of them so it's really the the population that may be more interesting than than the terrain itself and the kind of metrics that are associated with it right like elevation uh whatever elements could be dug out of the ground or anything like that where did you first develop this idea of thinking of it like a terrain when you first started talking about plateau and walking and you were sort of explaining it i could almost imagine it in my mind and then i was curious where did you first come up with thinking of it like that way mm. yeah well i think it's because with starting anything like a like a blog or podcast there are there's there's a very firm understanding of the of the starting line right you know where you stood you know that there was a metaphorical like a firing of the gun and you launch the thing and you start writing and as you say you find the first few people that sign up so you you keep looking at the analytics it's like how many people yeah. listen how many people did that and like what does that mean um and then you have this imagined finish line which again we have to take into account that you actually might not want to finish if it's something that you love you there's a very real chance that you're going to miss the plateau but at any point you just reach a point where you feel with anything unless you strike gold somehow you know and on day one you you you're just being bumped to the stratosphere and celebrated and all that which again could be very deleterious to you um but there's just the point where it's like oh i feel that things are not as exciting as i thought which in my case with the podcast is very interesting because it just gets more and more and more fun to make but it's less and less and less exciting to keep oh. track of the analytics yeah you know yeah 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 is that in terms of what what, what do you mean exciting like in terms of the rush of seeing how many people are engaging with it is that what you mean right yeah yeah it's um yeah this this is this why a plateau because if you imagine like a graph right i think that we're we're uh, we're in a culture of chasing the next thing you know the dopamine hit um the pleasure and you know going back to stories and believing that something is is possible like the the option that we're presented with is is to be hedonist basically in western culture like that's the only option you know if somebody is not a hedonist and rather is looking to um to them living well is something like doing the right thing for them or for others well they're naive they're not going to make it they're completely cuckoo you mm -hmm. know they're just a laughing stock basically so this is one of the things that I learned from reading Plato and other things that it's actually there's an alternative to being a hedonist that is not as much like that on yeah. a graph and yet feels better and it's very hard to describe it until you try living in that way 
and what what would that be called if so if it's not the hedonist approach what is this other way that you're describing health yeah <laughs> to be healthy <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 um trying to be healthy fighting mm-hmm. entropy there's always the universe always damages us you know oxygen is poisonous to our cells that's why we try to get antioxidants and yet we rely on it right mm-hmm. uh, we rely on some radiation from the sun to hit to hit us and give us vitamin d part of it is is causes cancer right yeah. so it's about that it's about keeping a balance and this game of keeping a balance takes a lot of creativity and eventually you see that we can learn to live in a way that's less exciting as i say that, that where the ups are maybe are not as crazy and the downs are not as crazy uh, but there's a different quality to that that can't be put on a graph which is a more constant and consistent um feeling of well-being of not having an itch to scratch and being able to be there for other people because you're not constantly concerned about your own state um something like that what led you to I'm going to call that maturity because it sounds like just like a wise, mature, healthy way to approach life. But how, how did you get there? Did you have some, because I'm kind of thinking like, did you have some like, I, I imagine you weren't always like that. So how did you sort of reach that state of realizing this, I guess? Hmm. Um, yeah, so definitely what we mentioned before, just the, the very first step of believing that it was possible definitely part of it which is why i told you yes this is definitely something i want to discuss um but after that just a lot of diligent figuring out of how to actually what is possible how to do it there were a lot of different insights that you know eventually kind of come together to create this coherent picture of what health is so stopping to think about uh things in terms of of things or states, or processes. Um, that's a big thing. A dialectic, of course, I had uh, an episode about that, and it's something that they do with people. So dialectic is a big part. And there's a document I wrote about it on Gumroad, so I'll link to that. Um, David Deutsch, who's a philosopher and a physicist, um, his books kind of made me realize that philosophy is 100% of science, which is something that's important for me to say. Philosophy, the art of living well, is 100% a science. You never get a stamp in science like, hey, you got it right. This is true. But you just get better and better explanations, and you're mm-hmm. just less and less likely to trip yourself up or run into invisible walls and hurt yourself and get to places where you're unhealthy, where you're craving, where you're abusing or being abused and all these things. So it's, it's, it's a process that you get better at, you know, and I'm by no means, I'm also a process. That means I didn't get anywhere. It's just uh, a thing. It's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's constant. Mm-hmm. 
if cool. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. I like that. Yeah. What are some um, other things maybe apart from what's right in front of your eyes now? Are there any other aspects of living that you can kind of maybe in the corner of your eye or more in the background right now, maybe farther away are things that you know you'd like to experiment with when it's coming to do things um, in an unorthodox way or not the not the usual way? I, I have some sense that it has to do with like my later life. I'm thinking of like being really old and you never know what's going to happen, right? Like, you know, you could get hit by a bus today or any, you know, but I suppose if that doesn't happen and I don't have some disaster um, or illness, I would, I, I see myself living to be old. I really want to be in my nineties. I want to be a hundred years old. And so then when I think about that possibility, and it does seem very possible to me, um, then I think, well, I probably should set myself up for success at, you know, as a 95 year old. And there's so much that I'm not doing to set myself up because it seems so far away. But, mm. but the quote, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure the time will just slip away. I can just imagine you know, I'm 40, then I'm 50, then I'm 60, then I'm 70. And then I think, uh oh, well, soon I'm going to be 95. And I didn't do any of those things. So I guess just, you know, when I think about what's just in the corner of my mind or something, or just within sight, but not really there, it's, it's thinking about being really old, but wanting mm -hmm. that time to be as good as it possibly can. Like, I'd like to be pain free. And I'd like my mind to be working as well as it can. And I'd like my body to be working as well as it can. So there's all kinds of stuff I could be doing right now to set myself up for that, but I'm not because it seems so far away. Um, I think that's yeah. that's the thing that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I really like this long-term thinking. Uh, my grandma, uh, the only one I have left is just turn 100. Wow. But overall, the average lifespan of a, of a grandparent of mine is like 94. So it's actually a real possibility that if I wow. don't get hit by a truck, I'll get yeah. there and I think about it a lot. So here's something that you and I and everybody listening who's interested, I think, should work on. So here's a story we get from our culture. I feel like is the story that old people should just go and be quiet somewhere until they die, right? And, you know, maybe don't die too old because we could have gotten the inheritance earlier, right? Basically, there's this um, quite disrespectful manner of treating elderly people even though they're the most experienced among mm -hmm. us you know kicking them out of the household or not kicking them out because they have their own household but we know that in native cultures there's much more intergenerationality and i think that is something that our generation should think about because i think we're losing on we're losing out on a massive amount of wisdom that's out there accumulated in the minds of people who live in isolation in elderly homes. And I'd like to think that you and I and any other friend of our generation that's going to make it to 90, you know, will not suffer this fate. Yeah, that's so true. It's, it's almost overwhelming to think about, but 
it seems so much more natural that people of all different ages be together. And, and you know, we evolved that way to be to be together and to be sharing back and forth. Um, so it is it's kind of alarming to think about people being so segregated, I guess, by age. Um, and yeah, I, I'm so with you. I think there's just a wealth, a wealth of wisdom that we're not accessing. And that also, I imagine they would want to give because mm-hmm. I think like even now um, in my thirties, there's things I want to say to people in their twenties, you know, don't make this mistake. Or if you're going to make this mistake, at least recover from it faster. So when I'm 95, I think I'll have so much more to say like that. And I would want to, like, I think I would really want to share that. So yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I think we could do, we could um, really do better when it comes to, um, to treating the elderly and just having the respect and, you know, it sounds like, oh, we're not treating the elderly fine, but no, actually, we're just not doing a good service to ourselves by yeah. not consulting people with tons of experience. Um, yeah, one last question, and this is a speculation. This is not going to be held against you in court or anything, but you know, you and I, what if we did figure out the making a living thing and become successful in a mainstream state like i'm just interested to hear from you like what would that entail in terms of actually managing um yeah like a a sum of money that's considered big what would it look like money wise sorry i'm not sure i understand yeah, like, because this is something I'm, I'm thinking a lot about for myself. Like, what do you do if you're well off? What do you actually do with the money? Do you actually just make it work for you so that you have more money or your children have more money? Or do you go and do philanthropy with it? It's like a complete hypothetical with me be- mm. for me because I haven't had this. And yeah, I'm just interested. Well, I would like to think that I wouldn't be overly motivated by the money, but I know that that's something that people say. So I can't say that with certainty, but I do know that I have made more in my life in the past. Like right now I'm making about a third as much as I've made at my highest salary and I'm still very happy and content. So to me, that's evidence that I'm not super money um, focused as long as I have enough and I'm feeling comfortable. Um, So I actually think that I would never get to the state of wealth where that would really be a problem to think about, because I think that if I started to make the kind of money you may be talking about, I would probably just slow down. So um, because I don't have children and I don't have plans to have children. So if I was comfortable and I was taking care of my family, my parents and things like that, that that would be fine. And I, I don't have a just being honest, but I don't have a big philanthropy philanthropy bone in my body. So I don't see myself going out and starting like a billion dollar nonprofit or something. I just, it's just not part of my nature as much as I want to be a good person and contribute to the world. It's sort of, I don't see it going that way unless money fell into my lap. Then I, then I would want to give, um, but I, I, I'm not motivated to keep going. I think that I would, I'm, I'm someone that likes to slow down and sort of, take things in i would probably if i had so much money like you're talking about i would just want to 
go back to university and just study for 30 years because there's so much when I went to school that I didn't learn. There were so many classes I wanted to take and I could see myself doing that for a really long time. What, yeah. what about you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to share it. Don't worry. For me, and I do want this to be uh, used in court against me. <laughs> if I'm not, if I'm not living up to it, I think that my dream is, you know, taking a few friends that I've made along the way and just making them able to just spend time with me and work on their art and, and so on. And of course, the list of endless of like good causes you could put your money to. So I, I'm not saying this, like this is exhaustive and this is all I'm going to do, but that's just an idea that is maybe I think also not not very mainstream but um yeah just make a kind of pod to swim along with rather than hoard it all for myself you know oh i love um, that it's like bringing your people with you your community yeah well rebecca this has been really awesome um and i'm happy that we got to explore some um aspects of relationship of money and with the central theme of you know, believing that something is possible at the outset when actually going out to achieve it. And thank you so much for uh, sharing from your thoughts and experiences. Yeah, thank you for inviting me on. It was really fun and a really interesting conversation. And I'm so glad that, that it worked out. Thank you. Yeah. Um, for listeners, where are you able to, um, or where would you direct people who want to actually read your blog or hear about anything else you might be doing yeah i would suggest for people to go to my twitter and my twitter handle is rebecca madison underscore and then my blog is on substack and the address for that is um rebecca madison.substack.com awesome well, I'm, I'm excited to um, keep our journey going and catching up about it. And yeah, I'm rooting for you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much.